I haven't heard that in a long time. I haven't sung it in a long time. And uh, boy, I was having to remember it. And uh, praise the Lord. What, a, what great words to that song. I was reading them. You know, one of the things about singing a song you haven't sung in a while is, is you don't, you're not familiar with the words. Sometimes we get so familiar with the words that we just kind of callously sing them because we've always sung them. And, uh, and we don't think about the meaning of them. But what a wonderful song. And uh, praise the Lord for that. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter number one. And uh, I said this in Sunday school. I, I started getting a touch of a cold uh, uh, during the week. And I, I thought, it kind of came, and then I, it kind of went away, and I thought, oh, praise the Lord, I'm getting better. And then uh, yesterday was like a really bad day. I had a real cold, and I'm like, man, what a bummer. And, uh, and so if I, if I sound a little funny, it's because uh, I have a cold, and I do apologize for that. And uh, uh, I'm reminded of, I, and I have a cough drop in my mouth, and I don't, I don't like to have something in my mouth when I'm speaking. So uh, hopefully that will not cause us a problem. But I am reminded of the preacher, and, uh, and he always used to put a cough drop in his mouth. And so he knew he'd, he'd just slip his hand in and put a cough drop in his mouth. And he knew that by the time uh, it had all dissolved, that about 30 minutes had gone by and his time for preaching was all done. And so he would wrap it up once that cough drop was done. And uh, so one day he went to the pulpit like he always did. He reached his hand in his pocket and uh, pulled out that cough drop. He popped it in his mouth. Boy, he started preaching away. Man, he preached a, a solid half hour, and, uh, and, and that thing was still in there. So, man, he preached another solid half hour. And, uh, and man, I mean, he's an hour long. He was preaching that morning. And another 15 minutes, and, uh, and he said, what in the world's going on? He spit it out in his hand, and, and it was a button, <laughs> an extra button in his suit coat. And so he would have preached uh, the rest of the day. And so uh, I'm sure the people were glad that he finally found out it was a button. But uh, I'll try not to do that to you this morning. But uh, Mark chapter number one, as we look at this uh, passage, uh, the, the life of Jesus is such a phenomenal example in so many regards. Uh, there's so many ways that, uh, that Jesus is an example to us. And uh, you can study his life over and over and over again, and there is so much there that you can get out of his life. And sometimes you can study one passage and, and see one thing, and then uh, a year or two later, because maybe your life circumstances have changed, you can study the same passage and see something different that would speak to your heart at that time. And so uh, there's many blessings, really, in looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And so in Mark chapter number 1, in verse number 21... The Bible says, <clears throat> And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what, what thing is this that a new doctrine, or what new doctrine is this? For with 
authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the regions round about Galilee. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for your many blessings in our life. God, I pray that you'd use me this morning. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought, clarity of mind, and help me to uh, preach your word. Father, God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person that's here. God, I pray that we would take something home uh, as an example from your life that we could uh, apply to our life this morning. And God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage in the beginning, uh, you think, boy, it's kind of a, uh, not, not a very eventful passage per se as you look at it. But uh, as we look at it, I want us to notice just a few things. And the very first thing that we can notice in verse number 21 as we read through the passage, it says, and they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Now I want you to notice Jesus' attendance to the synagogue. Jesus' attendance to the synagogue. Now the synagogue, what was the synagogue exactly? I mean, you don't hear about the synagogue in the Old Testament. What was the synagogue? So I started looking that up because I too, I wondered, what exactly is a synagogue? And a synagogue was a meeting place uh, for the Jews after the temple had been destroyed. You remember the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the temple. And, uh, and the Jews then were living in captivity in Babylon for many, many years. And as a result, synagogues started to pop up. They were simply a meeting place or a gathering place for the Jewish people where they could read the Word of God and they could study the laws of God and be reminded of everything that they were supposed to do. It was not a place that they would offer sacrifices because God had a dedicated place for them to do that. That was at the synagogue, or that was at the, excuse me, at the tabernacle before they had a temple. And then later it was to be done at a temple. And so uh, it was simply a place for teaching and preaching the Word of God. And I want you to notice in verse 21 that Jesus was faithful to go to that synagogue on Saturdays. They had a specific day. Now, we don't meet on Saturdays. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And some people say, well, why, why don't we meet on Saturdays? Well, we have a good reason to. Uh, to not meet on Saturdays. And that is the disciples started meeting on the first day of the week. If you look at the end of Jesus' ministry, just prior to his death, uh, the disciples and Jesus would gather regularly on the first day of the week. And so God established, Jesus Christ established, the first day of the week as the meeting time for the Christian church. And so we find that uh, they carried that through even in the Pauline epistles. He, he would tell them over and over, when ye gather on the first day of the week, this is the order of the collection of the saints and he would talk about how they were to do the offering and all of the things and he was constantly driving towards the first day of the week that they would gather and so it was established and that's why we meet on Sunday but nonetheless when Jesus came hey he didn't have they did they were that was new they were going to institute that in the future so meanwhile Jesus would show up where the Word of God was taught in the synagogue and he was faithful to show up. Listen, as he traveled, he was faithful. You notice there, and then and and they went into Capernaum. 
And straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Uh, I have made it a practice throughout my life, and that really even goes from my childhood, that even when we travel, we go to a church. And uh, sometimes, a few times, it's proved very interesting, to be honest with you. We've walked into church services, and uh, I remember even as a child, we walked into one, and we, we didn't know the churches in the area because we were traveling, and so my dad stopped, and we found a church on Sunday, and we went there, and, and, uh, and uh, boy, in the first prayer, my dad whispered to my mom, grab, grab the next son's hand. And tell him to grab the neck one hand. And so, uh, so they did. They, pa you know, they passed a little word all the way down the line. And everyone's got, got uh, everyone's hands. And uh, before they said, said amen, my dad was walking out with all, all of us in tow. Uh, and we walked out the back door. Why? It was not a church that was doctrinal. It wasn't straight. And so it has led to some interesting opportunities. Uh, but nonetheless, hey, Jesus made it a point when he traveled, he was going to be in a place where God's word was going to be given. Boy, we need to make that a point in our life. I'm reminded of that verse. And I know preachers use it all the time, Hebrews 10, 25. But it says in that verse, it says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. But the, the second part of that is what I love. And so much more... As you see the day approaching. We live in a day and age when people want to cut church out of their schedule. They do. You look around in good churches all over. We've had visitors from other churches that would come here because they would say, well, our church doesn't have a Sunday night. Well, our church doesn't have a Wednesday night. Listen, uh, the Bible's very clear that, hey, we are to do so much more as we see the day approaching. There will be people that will fall away, but let us not be the ones that are saying, hey, we're going to fall away. No, let us be the ones that are so much more as we see the day approaching in our faithfulness to God's house. And we see that Jesus was faithful in his attendance. Not only that, but I want you to notice, you don't have to turn there, uh, but you can find throughout the scriptures in Luke 4, 16, the Bible says this, and he, talking about Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So we find in that passage, hey, that it was his custom. It was normal for him. Um, I remember during the pandemic when, uh, when we, we switched to church online. Man, I, I, I struggled. I tell you, I don't know if you did. I, I sit at home and, man, I, I would sing the songs. And I, our family, we would sing the songs. And we, didn't, we, I, we sang out loud. I mean, I'd, I'd tell them, uh, us boys, two of us, were greatly outnumbered in my house. We can outsing you girls. And, uh, and so we'd sing, you know, and, and we'd do the best we could. And, and we, we would have church. Uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't wear a suit and a tie, but I got dressed. I didn't go in my pajamas. Uh, and I went to the, to the living room, and we sat down, and I made sure my family was there. And, and we had church to the very best of our ability. But I'll tell you what, I missed gathering in the house of God. I missed seeing the faces of other Christians. I missed being encouraged by other people serving the Lord. And it just wasn't the same, and I'm grateful for some of the things that we have, but I'm telling you what, church ought to be a custom in your life. And listen, I've had a time or two when I've been sick, and, uh, and yeah, I'll watch online or whatever, but, uh, uh, but man, I, I just I don't know what to do with myself on Sunday morning if I'm not in church. 
It's just been a part of my life. And it ought to be a custom, it ought to be part of your life and a habit as it was with Jesus. He made it a custom to go to the synagogue every time that they had the opportunity to read the Word of God. We find that he was there. He was faithful. Not only was he faithful, but I want you to notice his fervency. Listen, for Jesus, it wasn't just about showing up. Jesus wasn't the kind of guy that was going to show up and just sit in a pew and say, man, I'm here. Praise the Lord. No, you notice in both of those verses that we read, what did he do? He stood up and he read the word of God and he taught. Uh, And listen, not everyone has the same gifts. I get that. I understand that. And I don't expect everyone to have the same gifts. But what I am saying is Jesus had the opportunity to be involved in what was going on uh, where the word of God was being read and being preached. And boy, what, a, what, a, in, what an example for us that we need to be plugged in, that we need to be involved in what God is doing in his house. We find Jesus' attendance. Get involved in in the work. Get in in the habit of being in church. We find Jesus' attendance, but I want you to notice as well in verse number 22, not only can we see a Jesus' attendance, we can see Jesus' authority. The Bible says there in verse number 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, let me just say this. Jesus had reason to bring them new doctrine. I mean, uh, there was a new covenant. Now, we, we don't live in a new covenant. We're not introducing new doctrine. We're not interested in, in changing our doctrine. But in Jesus' day, hey, there was a reason because he was introducing a new doctrine, because he was introducing a new covenant uh, that would be given to the people. Not only that, but there was a lot of doctrine that they had in air. And Jesus, as the Word of God, had every authority to bring new doctrine to them. And so we find that Jesus had authority to bring them doctrine. Not only that, but he had authority to teach them as one who had authority. Let me say something. When you teach the Word of God, hey, you got the authority of the Word of God. When I stand up here and preach, I'm not giving you, on on occasion, I will say, well, it's my opinion. And I'll tell you, that's my opinion. If you disagree with my opinion, hey, that's fine. Most of the time, I try and tell you, this is what the Word of God says. These are things that are written in the Word of God. This is not my authority. This is God's authority. And the word of God ought to have authority in our lives to be able to tell us what to do and where to go. And these people were amazed because, hey, Jesus brought a new authority with him when he taught. They were amazed at Jesus' authority. We see Jesus' attendance. We see Jesus' authority. But I want you to notice as well Jesus' adversary. Look with me in verse 23 and 24 as we look at our text. And it's interesting as we see this. The Bible says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. I want you to notice his adversary. Don't think for a moment that anything being done for God is going to go unopposed. There will always be opposition. A couple weeks ago, last week I guess it was, or maybe the week before, I texted a pastor friend of mine and I said, hey, I I just want to let you know I'm praying for you, brother. 
I said, I hope everything's going well. He wrote me back. He said, well, he said things aren't going well, but I guess that's to be expected if you're serving the Lord and trying to do what God wants you to do because there is opposition, but praise the Lord, we're, we're, uh, we're going through. And I said, well, praise the Lord. You know, I mean, there's going to be opposition. Jesus Christ in his ministry faced opposition to what he was doing. He was standing there and he was reading and perhaps he was teaching, I don't know. And then just out of the blue, the Bible says in verse 23, and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out. And I've been in a lot of services. Matter of fact, I, I learned to preach. Uh, well, I didn't learn to preach, but I, I spent a lot of time preaching in the nursing homes when I was a young preacher. And uh, I, I, I learned to preach right through distractions and interruptions. I mean, I tell you what, we had more interruptions than you could shake a stick at. Matter of fact, there was one lady, uh, dear old saint of God, and, uh, and they would wheel her in. She was in a wheelchair, and she couldn't stop moving. So she would take two steps forward and one step back. I mean, she just, uh, she, I don't know if it was probably some syndrome or something, and, uh, and she was just physically not able to stop moving. So they would always wheel her in in the back. And they'd set her there. And, uh, and, and by the time we got to the song service, she was halfway, halfway towards the front. By the time we got to preaching time, uh, she was, I mean, she was right under the pulpit. And she was one step forward and one step back. And one step forward, she'd wheel that wheelchair. And the whole time, she'd just move. And I just, man, I just preached the word of God and, and uh, try and encourage those folks. And, and it didn't bother me. I, I just let it go. I, I tell you what, I didn't know how much that would help me. I got to Peru and... I can't tell you all the distractions we had. We had drunks walk into the street. Our church would open up straight on the street outside, and, uh, and people would walk by all the time, and drunks on occasion would stumble in and see a seat and sit down. And, uh, and we just, it just was part of life. And uh, occasionally we had dogs walk in our service. I mean, they just, they're all over the streets. And, and, and I'm just saying there was distractions, but there was none quite like this, where this man uh, that was there, he cried out right in the middle of the service. And I want to draw a couple of, um, observations about this man, because sometimes as we look at, at demon-possessed people, we think, oh, they're, they're wild, uncontrolled people. We think about the worst case examples, and that's very true. I mean, you look at the guy who, uh, the, who would, the Bible says he lived among the tombs and he cut himself and no man was able to control him or bind him. And you look about an, another fella and, uh, and, and a father came to Jesus and said, well, he off falleth in the fire and he off falleth in convulsing, convulsion, with convulsions. And, uh, and they explain them as wild, uncontrolled people. And that can be a, a case of demon-possessed people. But here in our passage, we find a man that seems to be in the ser service, seems to be in the synagogue, and he doesn't have, uh, nobody noticed uh, anything about him. So in my opinion, here's my opinion. I'll tell you, I told you I have opinions on occasion. I think he was a normal fellow that came to, to the synagogue there. And I think people uh, just accepted him. Uh, I mean, he wasn't a wild, uncontrolled man, obviously, as they looked at him. Nobody, nobody raised an eyebrow and said, oh, we need to, we need to get this guy out. Uh, we had a policy in our church in Peru that if a drunk fellow would walk into church and if he would sit down in the back and if he was quiet, we just left him alone. 
But if he started to cause a ruckus, we had a really great fella. He would put his arm around him, and, and he really wasn't even a big fella, but he dealt very well with him. He'd put his arm around with him and say, and start talking with him, and, and then he'd start walking, and that guy would tell him all his troubles, and he'd walk about two blocks away, and then say, well, I got to go, and he'd turn around and walk back to church. Now, he kind of ushered them out. That kept them from distracting the church. I think, uh, you know, in the synagogue, I think they would have had, hey, let's, you know, make sure everything's quiet, make sure everything's good. I, don't, I couldn't see this man being there as a ruckus and being a, a stir, being some kind of a problem. But it looks as though he came in and he was sitting there. And sometimes, listen, the adversary will look as though some normal person. And I think... Even demon-possessed people today exist. They exist in normal situations. Now, a Christian, let me say this, cannot be demon-possessed. Because, hey, the Spirit of God dwelleth in us. And he's going to keep out the unclean spirits, okay? Remember the one demon-possessed man where uh, Jesus kicked him out? And, and, and then he said, hey, listen, uh, seven more are going to come because they find the place swept and clean and empty. And seven more come and move in to that man. As a Christian, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God abides within us. And there cannot be an unclean thing abiding within us. So uh, it's not Christians, but certainly there are demon-possessed people who live in society, they don't have to be wild, crazy people that are cutting themselves. We often look at drug addicts or uh, people who are uh, struggle with all kinds of things in their life. We say, well, that's a demon-possessed person. Not necessarily, though they could be. Listen, there's many people who could live a very normal life and yet be demon-possessed. We find this man... He apparently seems as though a normal person within this passage and within the synagogue. And I'm reminded of the verse, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. And so we find that the Bible does substantiate the fact that, hey, some good people that seem good or look good uh, may not be really who they say they are. Listen, there's all kinds of, put it in air quotes for those who are listening, uh, uh, Christians that are really not Christian. They're not saved. They, not, uh, they, they remember the passage in, in, uh, in the New Testament where uh, Jesus is separating the, the people and, they, and he says, Father, have I not done many mighty works in thy name? Have I not cast out many demons in thy name? Have I not done this? And Jesus says unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. They weren't saved. They were professing the name of Christ, but they were not saved. And so I would just have us understand that there is an adversary against the things of God. And Jesus saw that adversary and he interrupted the entire service and he cried out. Look at what he cried out in verse number 24 saying, let us alone. There is probably more than one, I guess. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting? You look at that interruption, 
And what's the very first thing that he, he says? He says, he says there in verse 24, he says, What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? You know what he started questioning? Was the very purpose of Jesus Christ. He, pre- he questioned, what, what are, you're God and, and who are we? What, what, what do we have to do with you? And there's a subtle seed of doubt that was planted in every person's mind there that would say, hey, hey, God doesn't have an interest in man. Can I tell you something? There is nothing further from the truth. We were reminded last week Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We find that Jesus' purpose was indeed to save the lost sinner. And we find that uh, in, in questioning this, uh, it was ultimately questioning the word of God. Listen, that's an age-old tactic that the devil has used since the Garden of Eden. When he said to, to Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said? And you can find case and case and case in point where the devil constantly twists the words of God and says, Well, we're not, uh, is that really what God meant? And we find the adversary was busy attacking the work of Jesus Christ. And there will always be opposition. Listen, don't be surprised when you attempt something for God that there would be opposition to what you're trying to do. There's going to be opposition. Oftentimes, I can't tell you how many times we'll, we'll, we'll see a family and we'll encourage them to be in church or uh, maybe they just get saved and we'll encourage them to come to church and, and, uh, and, and you know what they say because uh, they don't show up on Sunday. And you know, oftentimes, I can't tell you how many times it happens that uh, Saturday night, oh, the baby woke up at midnight. She was sick and had this and that and we had to take care of her and, and Sunday morning rolled around and we, we fell asleep. We didn't make it. Listen, there's always opposition. There's always problems. There's always difficulty. And, and Jesus is, is the same uh, in the situation in that he certainly did have an adversary far greater than the adversary that you and I would face. Because Jesus is God. And so we find that we, we find the adversary. We find Jesus' attendance. We see Jesus' authority. We see Jesus' adversary. But I want you to notice this in verse number 25, and I love this. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. I want you to notice Jesus' ability. Praise the Lord that Jesus is in the life-cleaning business. Last week we looked at a man, Zacchaeus, who was a well-off man and probably a, a prominent and powerful man, and yet, uh, yet he was lost. And in this case we see a, a man who was there in the synagogue and, and, and he was certainly in need of Jesus cleansing his life and touching his life. And I'm glad that Jesus has the ability uh, to clean any life. Jesus said to him, hold thy peace. You know what that means? Basically said, shut up. <laughs> In a very kind way, of course. Hold thy peace. Well, you're done. You're not going to speak anymore. And he cut him off. And then he says, the next word was, come out of him. And he commanded that unclean spirit, or those unclean spirits, as I would 
look at the text and think it would say we. He was describing more than one. And they caused them to come out of them. I'm so glad that Jesus has a way of cleansing our lives. Man, I mean, I'm not saying we were demon-possessed before we were saved. I'm not saying that at all. But certainly we had impurities in our life that needed to be cleansed, needed to be washed away, needed to be fixed in our life. And I'm glad that Jesus had the ability to cast out this demon and Jesus has the ability to clean up our life out of all impurities and of everything that we have. Listen, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Boy, this man's life, I'm sure it changed if he trusted in Jesus Christ. We don't have a real account. We don't know really what took place in this man's life. We don't know that he did put his faith in Jesus Christ. But I can tell you this, that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will clean your life up. He'll change you and make you different. And he has the ability to do that. Thank the Lord for Jesus' ability over unclean, uncleanness to cleanse it and to wash it out of our lives. I want you to notice one other thing. Look with me in verse 27. Not only can we see Jesus' attendance, Jesus' authority, Jesus' adversary, and Jesus' uh, ability to cleanse this life, but I want you to notice in verse 27. The Bible says, And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. I want you to notice Jesus' acclaim in verse 27 and 28. I want you to notice this in verse 27 and 8. And even in the entire ministry of Jesus, Jesus didn't run around promoting himself. Jesus could have, but he did not. He, he could have uh, rented out the, uh, uh, the entire uh, stadium that they would have had and sold tickets and said, come and put on a big campaign. Jesus didn't do that. You know what Jesus did? He just went around ministering everywhere he went. He went down and said, hey, let me be a blessing to you. Hey, hey, let me, let me be a blessing in your life. Hey, let me, let me come down and, and let me touch your life. Let me help you in your situation. Let me help you. He didn't call a big, a big, a big crowd around and say, hey, come to me and, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be famous and I'm going to be the most important person. No, he went to those people where they were at and he touched their individual needs in every case and in every place. He would go to them and he would find their needs and he would minister unto them. What an example to us as we look at our life and how we should minister to other people. His works spoke for him. When, when he cast the demon out of this man, you know what happened? Well, the next verse tells us all the people were amazed. They said, we've never seen anything like this before. And Jesus didn't have to say, hey, go tell everyone. No, no, no. I mean, it spread like wildfire. They said, man, you know what's going on? 
hey, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, he cast a demon out of this man. And, and, and all the miracles, it happened time and time again that, that these people would go out and they would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was, uh, the, the Bible says here in our passage, and immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. As I thought about that, and I read that, I thought, you and I, we are the works of Jesus Christ. He touched your life. He touched my life. He saved you. He cleansed you. He changed your destination. He changed where you're going to spend eternity. And as a work of Jesus Christ, we ought to testify to his honor and to his glory. Hey, you know what Jesus did for me? Tell people. Say, you know how Jesus changed my life? Man, I was, I was on a road that was destined for a bad place. And Jesus Christ changed my life. Man, he'll change yours too. Testify to the acclaim of Jesus Christ. Let them know how Jesus made a difference in your life. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Jesus acclaim. What was it? It was his works. It was everything that he did. It was all the people he ministered to. You know what? In 2022, Jesus is not physically here on the earth touching and healing people, but he's working through you and I. And he's changed my life. I believe and I hope he's changed your life if you've been saved and born again. And we are the work of Jesus Christ. And we ought to proclaim his fame throughout all the world because he changed our life. We ought to be a witness for him. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, there'll be opposition. You try to witness, you try to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to witness, I've gone to testify, and something pops up, and something causes an interruption, and I'm physically just not able to. But I'm telling you, there'll be opposition, but we ought to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. For each and every person that's here. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. God, oh, may we go back in our minds to the day that you saved us. To the day that you changed our life. God, may we be mindful of the fact that, oh God, we were destined for an eternity in hell. But you saved us. God, may we be grateful for that. So grateful, Father, that we would testify before our friends, our co-workers, before other people of how good you've been to us. God, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart as we look at your example. What a phenomenal example, a perfect example in all reality. Help us to live a life patterned after you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray this morning. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning as music plays. 
Maybe you're hearing God spoken to your heart. Take a moment. Pray and ask God to help you, whatever it is, whatever the need. Take a moment and pray. Maybe you're listening, maybe, maybe not even here in the auditorium, but maybe online and you say, man, I, I know there's uncleanness in my life and I know that God has not washed my life yet and I need to be saved. Listen, the Bible says that there is a penalty for, for sin and the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. That death is an eternity in a place called hell. But it goes on and it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus wants to change your life. He will if you'll simply ask Him to save you and change you. Believer, go back to that day when you were saved. Be reminded of what a change He made in your life. Oh, how we should let others know about that. We ought to keep that fresh in our mind. I ought to keep that fresh in my mind. Because our life truly changed that day.